Hello and welcome to Known Unknowns. Hello and the welcome. Podcast. I'm Carly. I'm Harry. Um, and yeah, welcome. And you are the listener. And I'm sure you've been here before. I I hope you've been here before. So, uh, what what are we? Well, if you haven't anything? been here before, yeah, welcome. Okay. Yeah, welcome. So, sorry, um, what were you gonna say? Nothing. I was just gonna get into talking. Oh, okay. Not about our topics, but just talking. What are you going to talk about? Nothing. Okay. Anything to talk about? No, my bike tire popped on the way home today, and I'm just sad about it. I'm sorry. And it was already just, it wasn't that bad of a day at work. It was just boring, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, tweeted about how much she loved John Lewis after he passed away. Um just one night after she had her police force brutalize protesters yeah. um downtown uh and then yeah yeah that was bad yeah she's not a good person <laughs> no not at all she's I, honestly the worst i really I, I want to know what people not from chicago think about her because i don't know anyone in chicago who likes her at well, all. They all voted for her, so. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, that's what no, I don't I get. Everyone hates her now, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you would have done a little bit of research before you voted, mm -hmm. you would have found out this is exactly who she is. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like some, a lot of people are finding all these things to be very surprising, mm -hmm. and they're like, I can't believe she's doing this, and I'm like, no, that's yeah. exactly what I expected from her. I know. Well, I mean, she... I mean, if what you expected from her was her to, like, go on, like, MSNBC and do, like, epic clapbacks at Donald Trump or have, like, viral tweets calling him, calling people a Karen and stuff, um, then, you know, you got what you expected. But if you want someone who is actually a decent mayor, but uh, then that's not what you got. But I don't, I mean, I... But, yeah, that's why I'm, like, curious about, like, what people not from Chicago think about her, because I feel I like... I really don't know anything. I don't know anything Well, I mean, about... she's... I mean, she's a pretty... I mean, the mayor of Chicago is, like, a fairly big deal, and she, like... She is on, like, TV a lot, and she is, like, as, you know, her Twitter is uh, sort of geared toward epic clapbacks. And so, like, I feel like yeah, she's trying to get, like, a national profile as, like, a liberal, like... I don't know. I feel like people not in Chicago would just see that and not see all the like, horrible things she does here. I don't know. I have no idea. I I truly have no idea. I'm I just... don't know any other mayor of anywhere except for Liz Skinner. <laughs> right. Shout out to Liz. <laughs> right. My favorite mayor. See, I guess I know a few other mayors. Nope. I just know Mayor Skinner. <laughs> She's my favorite. I tell people all the time my favorite mayor is Liz Skinner. Right, but you also don't watch cable news and stuff. Wait, so, am like, I not supposed to like Liz Skinner? No, I was talking oh, about like people I was who, like, was, was people there controversy who, like, about no, no, no. Liz? She, <laughs> the mayor of Delavan, Illinois. I don't think so. She's no, still I was the mayor, that, like, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. She'll be the mayor for life. Probably. <laughs> God, if anyone ever votes her out, I'll be so mad. That would be. I will personally go to their house and punch them in the nose. <laughs> I'll be so upset. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I was just saying that, like, I don't know. The if you watched cable news, you would probably be familiar with some mayors at least. No, I used to watch cable news with my parents. All right. 
Never mind. And I did not know anyone other than Liz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Just Liz. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what else you want to talk about? Uh... Any... I'm sure there was probably some big, like, cryptid or UFO news that happened this week that I missed. Ghislaine Maxwell is pleading not guilty, and okay. they aren't letting her out uh, because of COVID. You know, like, oh. letting her, because uh, they think she's a, is it a flight risk? Uh, oh. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, no, she's going to run if we let her, because they tried, she tried to... I don't know how that works, but they were like... She was she was denied bail. Yeah, yeah. So, because she's a serious, they don't want her to uh, run away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's pleading not guilty. Okay. To everything. So, that's, uh... That, that's, that's predictable. Yeah, I assumed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. No, yeah, I didn't really expect any big revelations from the, her bail hearing. Nah. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Probably wouldn't be any... Big revelations later in the trial, either. Her trial date was set for, like, next June, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't... I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. June 2021. So, uh, how's... How's, uh, COVID going for you? I'm more and more scared every day that I'm gonna get it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> well, yes. I deal with a lot of people every day, so do you. Yeah, I know. And I'm terrified now of I getting just, it. Yeah, I just don't think about it much. Uh. I you do. Just kind of go through. Well, just because I'm going home soon to see my Grammy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've just been thinking about it a lot. I really don't want to get her sick because she's really old and she's not very healthy. Like, she would die. <laughs> like, she's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's falling apart. Grammy, I love you. <laughs> my grandma does not listen to this. Good. If she did, oh my goodness. She doesn't even know how to use her phone. She says she, says she can't text on her smartphone because she, she is, you know, her fingers hurt too much. She can't oh no. do it. Oh. Carpal tunnel or whatever. That's too bad. Is that what that's called? That is or something. arthritis. Probably no, arthritis. No, it's arthritis. <laughs> she wouldn't have that. She's never texted. She, <laughs> she's never used her thumbs too uh-huh. much. Yeah. 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 Okay. She can't text me. And she'll call me randomly and leave me voicemails that are just like, how do I, how do I, uh, hang up this phone? <laughs> like, she doesn't realize that she's calling me or she won't, like, yeah, she's cute. <laughs> she's the nicest lady. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really nervous she's going to get sick. Yeah. Mm. I'll wear a mask the whole time we're there. Wait, is that happening this month? What's happening this month? We're uh, next weekend is where we're holy going. Holy crap really (laughs) yeah whoa so i'm going home next weekend everyone (laughs) and uh, i get to see my grandma right yay (laughs) yay um yeah that's that's um when do you think everything will start closing again i have no idea never that's a possibility uh next later this week is also a possibility (laughs) i really don't know I have, I am, I, I do not feel like I have the ability to make any predictions about what's going on right now. No, um, because I remember like three I, or I four mean, weeks think... before everything shut down. No, like I'm going to say like two weeks before everything shut down. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
it's not even gonna affect us mm-hmm. what's happening yeah why is everyone freaking out mm-hmm. why is there hand sanitizer everywhere what's happening <laughs> and then like two weeks later yeah i got mm-hmm. I mean, laid I, off <laughs> I, I think that like cases are keep gonna keep going up and deaths and stuff but i don't know if anything's gonna be done about that or if the powers that be are just gonna expect us to accept it yeah and i mean it's good that everything closed i'm not saying i was mad about it i've just i mean i don't think it was that i mean basically all the news was like this is really scary but will Mm -hmm. it affect the united states as though i was just kind of going off of like other news places that weren't really making it that big of a deal so Mm -hmm. i was like why is everyone freaking out now i know that it's obviously a thing to be freaking out like you know right to be very Mm -hmm. concerned about um i just feel like trying to predict anything in 2020 is is a fool's errand yeah it is no i know i'm just not like a i just do you think things will close down again i don't know i truly i would i so i think in some places yes i I think think chicago i think yeah start reclosing things eventually yeah, at some point, probably. Uh, I I could not wager a guess when. Sometime in the next, sometime within the next month, I guess, if cases continue to rise. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have no, I have no ability to predict predict anything right now. Okay. I think that they're going to close less proportional. Well, yeah. Like to what they would have. To the proportionate to the number of cases there were, like at the beginning of the outbreak, they're gonna close less than they would than they did, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that they'll 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 make some gesture to like closing things down, and it it hasn't. I have no idea how meaningful that gesture will actually end up being. I bet we'll get closed our job. Probably. They didn't want to open us in the first place. Well, that was the state. We had to beg. Right. And so it depends, like, how much how much power the state ends up, like, wielding with that kind of thing and how much it's left up to the city and how... Uh, there are too many var- variables. Yeah, well, they're bored by this. So do you want to talk about your story? Yeah. All know. right. I'm good. Uh, good. I don't know what category of things we talk about mine falls into. Okay. But anyway, I'm talking about the Donner Party. Ooh. Going back to pioneer times. Yeah, tell me about it. All right. So. It's just me and you, baby. <laughs> okay. Tell me. What do you what, what do you know about the Donner Have you heard of the Donner Party before, Carly? Yeah. Okay. The, you, you know what it is. What do you know What do you know about the Donner Party? Mm. Tell me. All right. So I get confused about a lot of things. Okay. And I feel like I have an idea, but I don't want to sound stupid if this is not the same thing I'm thinking of. Okay. So tell Tell, me what kind of it's about. So it's about people going on the trail out west, the Oregon Trail and stuff. And then they get stuck. And then they get stuck. And then they eat each other, right? Yeah, that's what it's about. Okay. That's what I thought, but I'm like, what if this is a totally different, like, (laughs) (laughs) what if I'm totally wrong? Because that is, you you know that's something that would happen to me. Like, I could be like, is it about the people who ate each other? And you'd be like, no, 
Carly, it's about this family who invented this cool thing and then got rich. Like, that's that would be me. Well, that, that would still be funny and valuable to the pod. That would be entertainment no. value. They already think could, I'm dumb. Or we could cut it out. Who they thinks will. you're dumb? I'm sure plenty who said of that? people think I'm stupid. Tell me. If you, if you think that Carly is dumb, write into the podcast so I can give you a ass whooping. <laughs> Not that smart. <laughs> I sound stupid on this podcast. Uh, okay. Right, anyway. Oh man. So tell me about the cannibalistic um, monsters. No, tell me about them. <laughs> okay. So on May twelfth, eighteen forty-six, nine wagons headed west out of Independence, Missouri, carrying thirty-two people, all members of the Reed and Donner families, as well as their employees. Employees. Um, like they would hire. They hired like people to like help. Hired teamsters to help drive the wagons. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I did not know who would be their employees. Mm-hmm. Those yeah, confused. just people they hired to help them with okay. the wagons and stuff. Bound for California, California. Uh, the promise of a fully Catholic culture and cheap, fertile land on which to build a new life. On which to build a new life. Oh, that was that was a. The end of a sentence fragment. You <laughs> <laughs> went up at the end there, and I was like, I know, I was. And? <laughs> anyway, the, uh, drew them to be bound for California. Uh, but the story of the Donner Party begins, or I'm going to start my version of the story of the Donner Party, in 1842, uh, when a man named Lansford Hastings traveled from Ohio to Oregon. Um, mm. When he got to the West Coast, Hastings saw an opportunity. Uh, California was then Mexican territory, but sparsely populated. Mm. Um, So he thought that if enough Americans came and settled in California, the territory could gain independence through a bloodless revolution. And then, of course, install him in high office of the new country. Right. Yeah. Um, And so in 1845, he published a book entitled The Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, in which he described California in glowing terms and gave practical advice for settlers making the journey. Mm. Part of that advice so was a description of uh, the best route to take. Um, oh. So after nearly a decade of sustained travel, there was a pretty well-established wagon trail from the Midwest to Oregon. Yeah. And typically travelers to California would sol- follow the same path as those going to Oregon until they got to Fort Hall, Idaho. After which the paths would branch, with those bound for the Willamette Valley of Oregon continuing on to the northwest, and those bound for California taking the California Trail to the southwest. Okay. Um, In the Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, though, Lansford Hastings suggests a a route of his own known as the the Hastings Cutoff. Hmm. Um, So he says... Is that smart? In the book, uh, the most direct route... Oh, we'll, no. we'll see. The most direct route for the California emigrants would be to leave the Oregon route about 200 miles east of from Fort Hall, thence bearing west-southwest to the Salt Lake, and thence continuing down to the Bay of San Francisco by the route just described. Um, so basically they would, like, cut off, they would, like, they would cut off, like, a bit of a corner, basically, by cutting, like, right across the desert basically mm-hmm. then rather than going up and like kind of making yeah. a triangle yeah um anyway so emigrants taking the hastings cutoff would leave the oregon trail at 
uh, near Fort Bridger, Wyoming, and then would go through the Wasatch, Wasatch Mountain Range across the Salt Lake Desert, which was an 80-mile stretch of salt desert without any grass or water, and then looping around the Ruby Mountains to join up with the California Trail in what is now Nevada. Okay. Um, Hastings thought this was a clever shortcut to make the trip to California Had easier. Had he ever been on this trail? Uh, that's about, that's, oh, what, okay, th- that's sorry, just continue. what I was going to say. The problem is that he never actually traveled the route before he published what? it. What? <laughs> what a dummy! <laughs> he, what? He, so he might have traveled a small portion of it the year that his book was published, but that was like <sighs> in like mild weather with no like, you know, no time constraints and like with a small, like probably no wagons, like oh a few people. Goodness. Um, but, uh, and then he didn't travel the entire cutoff until early 1846, uh, when he did so going from, going from California to Fort Bridger, so the opposite direction, and then he, even that, he did so on, on horseback without any, you know, yeah, in mild weather with no time pressure, (laughs) like, he didn't have to, like, worry about getting a, a wagon through the trail that he proposed okay um so if he if he had taken the time to test this out um before you know advertising it he would have learned that if traveled it traveled over such treacherous terrain with like so many twists and turns that the shortcut actually ended up adding 150 miles to the trip what no are you serious he thought this shortcut yeah oh he thought it was no it wasn't even shorter no it was, yeah. No. And so, like, at like people traveling, yeah, it was like basically an extra ten days at least <laughs> is what it would, because yeah, they have av- people averaged about fifteen miles a day on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> so, yeah. What? So anyway, after that bit of foreshadowing, um, back to the Donner Party. That's wacky. Yeah. Okay. So the man who would become the leader of the group, George Donner. Um, George. George Donner. He was about 60 when he left from Springfield, Illinois. Ooh. Yeah. We know where that's at. <laughs> um, I've been there. Yeah, I know. Uh, he came from Springfield, Illinois. Um, with him came his wife, Tamson, their three daughters, and two more of George's daughters from a previous marriage. So five, two teenagers and three like kid girls under six. Okay. Um. George's younger brother, Jacob Donner, was 56, and his wife, Elizabeth, was 45. Uh, They had five children, four boys and one girl, and Elizabeth had two teenage sons. And then the Donners hired six Teamsters to drive their ox teams. Um, They were accompanied by the Reed family, who were also from Springfield, um, headed by James Reed, who was a 45-year-old Irish immigrant. Uh, He was accompanied by his wife, Margaret, who's 32, his stepdaughter, two and two sons, as well as his mother-in-law, Margaret Keyes, who was 70. Oh, my goodness. They also hired three Teamsters, as well as a handyman, whose sister came along as the family's cook. So these 32 people in nine wagons um, were among the last to head out on the trail that spring, um, going out in May. Uh, but it seems the first part of the journey was fairly uneventful. Um, mm-hmm. About a weekend, they met up with a bigger train of about 50 other wagons. So a lot of people were taking this shortcut. Oh, no, this is not... They're not at the shortcut. They're just oh. starting off oh, like oh, across it. the Great... They're starting off from uh, Missouri, going across the Great Plains. Got it. Never mind. So, like, yeah, they start off with a 
they meet up with a, another train of about 50 other wagons. Um, a couple weeks in on May 28th, Margaret Keys, the old woman, passed away and was buried by the side of the trail. Aww. She'd been in the advanced stages of consumption when they left. Oh, yeah. So I feel like I knew this. It's unlikely that her death came as much of a shock to anyone. Mm, yeah, that's but sad. Still sad. Yeah. I mean, better than what is to come. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, she she was one of the lucky ones. Yeah, she's lucky. Uh, so about a month in, by June 16th, um, Tamsin Donner wrote a letter to a friend in Springfield. They'd covered about 450 miles. Um, they were delayed slightly by rain and a rising river. Um, mm-hmm. But Tamsin remarked, Indeed, if I do not experience something far worse than I have yet done, I shall say the trouble is all in getting started. Uh, no. Virginia Donner, 13... Uh, said years later that at this point she was perfectly happy. Um, Where'd she lived? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, not, yeah, the, you know, well, yeah. So, yeah, s- some people lived. They didn't. Okay. Uh, anyway, so Lansford Hastings spent, back to him, much of the first part of 1846. The camp- guy who wrote the bogus book. Yeah, camped okay. out at Fort Bridger, um, getting ready to lead people on his new shortcut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, he would like he'd send out like riders with letters going back east and to give to people coming along the trail to like advertise that he had worked out a new and better road to California and that he'd be waiting at Fort Bridger to guide people along it. <laughs> um, so on, on July 12th, George Donner and James Reed received one of these letters and apparently found it persuasive. As on July 20th, mm-hmm. they and several other families split off, split off from the main wagon train to head for Fort Bridger and the Hastings Cutoff. What? Okay. Um, at least two people made attempts to dissuade them from it, though, um, at Fort Laramie before they uh, cut off to it. Um, James Reed was warned by an old friend of his who was coming back from California that Hastings' information was inaccurate and that their wagons wouldn't make it. Um, and then a journalist, James Bryant, was traveling about a week ahead of the Donner Party, um, and he's, he saw the first part of the Hastings cutoff mm-hmm. and was also concerned that the Donner wagons wouldn't make it, Aww. especially with so many women and children. Um, what is that supposed to mean? That, that they're weak? Basically, yeah. What the... F- what? <laughs> I know. Rude. <laughs> he left letters for several members of the party at a trading post owned by Jim Bridger to warn them about the trail, but the letters were never received. Um, oh! Bryant thought that uh, probably, and a few other people think, that Bridger hid the letters from them. He just never gave it to them, as his trading post would see a lot more business if people were taking the Hastings cutoff, so he didn't want to dissuade people from that. Um, instead, he told them that it would be a smooth trip over easy terrain, far from any hostile Native Americans, and would shave 350 mm. miles off the route. That's uh, not true. The only stretch without easy access to water would be a couple of days crossing a 40-mile-wide dry lake bed. Okay, what was this guy's motivation exactly for forcing people to take his path? So, uh, he, the, What did he have to gain The Hastings here? guy? He wanted, I think, part of it. I, I think he probably... I think he wanted to, like, probably be famous for, like, having, you know, this great new path that he invented that got people to California so much quicker. And, like, you know, and then once they were there, he'd be famous and they'd want him to be their king or whatever. (laughs) Or, you know, he and, you know, he thought he probably thought that it would end up being better 
Maybe even though you should do your research, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so so they decided to take it, as I said, um, despite the fact that Lansford Hastings had already left the the uh, trading post to lead another like forty wagon uh, Harlan Young party that had come through like uh, eleven days before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he he was off leading them, but they still decided to go that way along the route. Hastings left letters for people, giving them directions, basically for what the next weirdo. party to come. Okay. <laughs> um, so by this time, the group had swelled in numbers. So splitting off with the so they they the Donners and Reeds had joined up with this bigger group, and then a bunch of people went off with them. Okay. At this point, so there was the Murphy family, headed by widow Lavina Murphy from Tennessee, who had a family of thirteen, including two married daughters, their husbands, and children. Um, and there was the Eddy family. William H. Eddy, 28, brought his wife and two children. There were the Breens, Patrick Breen, 51, and his wife Peggy and their seven children, and as well as their neighbor, Patrick Dolan. <laughs> um, there was Louis Kiesberg, who was a 32-year-old German immigrant whose wife gave birth along the trail to their second child. <sighs> no. Um, there was another German couple, the Wolfingers, who were rumored to be wealthy and traveled with their driver, Dutch Charlie Berger, two men named Spitzer and Reinhardt, and an older man named Hardkoop. And there was a young man named Luke Halloran, who was passed from family to family uh, as he became sicker and sicker with consumption, and few could afford to take care of him for very long. That's sad. Yeah. Um, And then at Black Forks, the Donners then hired another replacement wagon driver, and they were joined by the McCutcheon family, consisting of 30-year-old William, 24-year-old wife Amanda, and their two-year-old daughter. And there was also joined by a 16-year-old from New Mexico named Jean-Baptiste Trudeau, who claimed to have knowledge about the Native Americans and terrain on the way to California. Mm. Um, and then a few days into their taking the Hastings cut off, another family caught up, the Graves family, who brought the Donner Party up to 87 members and between oh 60 and 80 wagons. Wow. Yeah. Um, so uh, all these people, they so were... it wasn't just like seven people. That no, was just... yeah, it was a big, wow. it was a big group of people who went off. Um, they were all like pretty well off for the times or at least like comfortable. Mm-hmm. So like not the kind of people who would you know like have a lot of like wilderness knowledge yeah (laughs) they're not like outdoors people they're like (laughs) i don't know some of them were like carriage builders but they were all from like you know the big city of springfield illinois and stuff exactly metropolitan you know farming uh capital yeah Mm -hmm. city yeah so on July 31st is when they like started off down the Hastings cutoff um, and almost immediately discovered that their route was very different from what had been described to them. Uh-huh. Um, nearly a decade of heavy travel meant that the main Oregon Trail w- and California Trail were heavily well, well were well worn and clearly visible. Um, but of course, the brand new cutoff had barely been traveled at all. And the trail was at times nearly impossible to discern. Mm-hmm. Um Hastings, yeah, left letters nailed to trees along the trail, giving a basic description of the route. And on August 6th, they found one from him advising that they stop until he could come back to show them an alternate route to the one that he'd taken 
the previous group on. Um, so three men rode off ahead to meet up with Hastings, and though he'd promised to lead them, he only rode back part of the way, just giving like general indications of which trail of what route they should take. No. Yeah. Um, two of the men um, stopped to rest. One of them and it came all the way back to the uh, the rest of the group um, four days later after they had left. When he when James James Reed was the one who came back um, right away, it was determined that they should take the alternate route that Hastings had told them about because. Um, you know, they'd seen what was up ahead for them along the other route, and it was a really treacherous canyon with, like, narrow narrow ledges and big boulders and stuff that they'd have to move and, like, work oh around. And, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said, typically travelers on the Oregon Trail averaged 15 miles per day, and but at this point, the Donner's parties, the Donner party's pace slowed to 1.5 miles a day. Why? Uh, due to the amount of like brush and trees they had to like clear Ooh. out of the way, they had to like cut down trees to get their wagons through like the woods and the mountains and stuff. That's like a snail's pace. I know, insane. It took them four weeks for it took four weeks for them to traverse the Wasatch Range. Um, Did they know that they weren't going very far? I wonder. I would. I would assume you. You must realize that you're only going a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they. I think they made it out of the Wasatch Mountains on August 20th. Um, and then on August 25th, uh, Luke Halloran, the guy with um, consumption, died. He was... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, or, yeah, he died. Yeah, died of tuberculosis. So, and then a few days after that, the party came across a torn and tattered letter from Hastings. Um, the pieces indicated that there were two days and nights of difficult travel ahead of them without grass or water. Uh. Um, the party rested their oxen for 36 hours and then and prepared for the trip. Um, they set off to traverse a 1,000-foot mountain that lay in their path. Um, and then from its peak, they saw ahead of them a dry, barren plain, perfectly fat and co- flat, perfectly flat, perfectly not fat, fat. <laughs> and covered with white salt, larger than the one they had just crossed. And one of the most inhospitable places on earth, according to other people who crossed it at the time. Wow. Um, at this point, their uh, oxen were very fatigued and their water was nearly gone. A lot of the group were running low on food food and stuff especially the less well-off ones Ugh. yeah um oh and uh a little bit before this uh the two other guys who had like stopped to rest after like going off to find hastings they like the after several days the main party finally found them they would like got lost and like were starving and were like a day away from eating their horses mm. um so they Start to head off across the uh, salt like desert. Um, so when Hastings had originally crossed it, he had done so on horseback, like I said, 
but in the heat of the day, the moisture underneath the salt crust rose to the surface and turned it into a like real like gooey, gummy, sticky mass of earth, and like oh the wagon wheels God. like sank sank into it. It's like all the way up to the hubs. Um, the days were blisteringly hot and the nights frigid. Um, people, you know, saw like mirages or visions in the mm. distance of like lakes and wagon trains. Um, wow. they had a lot of trouble with animals, like getting, you know, there was no water or grass for them to eat. So nine of Reed's 10 oxen broke free, crazed with thirst and bolted off into the desert. Um, some people, you know, removed their oxen from their wagons to press ahead to like find more water for them. Um, other, you know, many people's cattle and horses just went missing. Some of them were became so weakened that they just left them hitched to the wagon and abandoned it because mm. they couldn't and the left you know you know it was a bad bad situation um let's see you know none of the party had any remaining faith in the hastings cut off as they recovered at the springs on the other side of the desert um what was supposed to be a two-day journey over 40 miles um ended up being a 80 mile journey uh, that took six days. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, so they finally got to the springs on the other side of the desert and spent several days trying to recover cattle, retrieve the wagons that they'd left behind, um, you know, transfer all their like food and supplies from those into other wagons. Mm -hmm. um, Reed's, the Reed family lost like the most wagons and oxen and stuff and had to he, he asked all the families to submit an inventory of their goods and food to him. Um, he was sort of like the second in command of it. They'd nominated Donner as their leader, George Donner. Uh, because it's called the Donner Party. That's why, yeah. But okay. like Reed was also like the second like most, yeah. I don't know, experienced guy mm -hmm. there basically. Um, he suggested that two men should go ahead to Sutter's Fort in California if they could, just on their own. Um, so they sent off Charles Stanton and William McCutcheon. Uh, they volunteered to undertake the trip. Um, they, and it was the middle of September, uh, and two young men who went in search of missing oxen reported that another 40 miles of desert lay ahead. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, their cattle and oxen were now exhausted and lean, but the Donner Party crossed the next stretch of desert relatively un unscathed. Um, the journey seemed to get easier for a little bit, particularly, um, you know, through the Ruby Mountains. Um, and then on September 26th, they finally rejoined the original main California trail. They made it through the Hastings Cutoff, but lost, like, a ton of food and... <laughs> yeah, animals. So and they things. made it through his little shortcut. They made it through off? his little shortcut, but it delayed them severely. Left, lost them a ton yeah. of supplies, wagons, and animals. Jeez. Yeah. Um. So, um, they met up with a few Paiute Native Americans after joining up with the main trail. Um, but after a couple of days, they. The Native Americans stole or shot several oxen and horses. I'm not quite sure why. I'm sure they had a good reason. I mean, I mean the good reason. I mean the only good. Re the the best reason is just that these people are like 
coming through their lands and setting up yeah. precedent for them to be taken away and murdered. So they're like, yeah, you mm-hmm. come over here and then I steal your shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It became October um, and the Donner family split off a little bit ahead to make better time. Um, they were they they were like a ended up being like a few days ahead of the rest of the party for a little bit. Mm. Um, two wagons in the re- remaining group like be- ran into each other basically and kind of like got wrecked up. And John Snyder angrily beat the ox of Reed's hired teamster Milt Elliott. Uh, when Reed intervened, Snyder proceeded to rain blows down onto his head with a whip handle. Oh my gosh. When Reed's wife attempted to intervene, intervene she too was struck. Um, Reed retaliated by fatally plunging a knife under Snyder's collarbone. Oh my god. Yeah. Things ain't going well. No. And so they all like got together, um, the whole party, um, to decide what should be done about this. Um, since they were past the Continental Divide past the Rocky Mountains um, and now into technically Mexican territory. The U- U.S. laws weren't applicable anymore. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to abide by them. And so um, with George Donner gone, they like all got together to vote. Um, and so they decided rather than hanging Reed like some people wanted to, they would just um, basically banish him from their little group to send him off without like any food or uh, any supplies or anything Mm. reed departed alone the next morning unarmed but his stepdaughter virginia rode ahead and secretly provided him with a rifle and food ew (laughs) he was he killed he killed the guy who was beating his wife i don't know and it was her dad stepdad that's true i don't know she wanted to do a little she didn't want him to die anyway um so they sort they they all like kind of like split up a little bit. They kind of you know spread out basically along the trails and sort of you know the trails somewhat like would like break off from each other and come back together and things. So they kind of all splintered off. Um, people had to walk more as the animals became more weak and couldn't ride and the thing. So that slowed them down. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiesberg ejected Hardcoop, the, uh, 70-something-year-old man, from his wagon, telling the elderly man that he had to walk or die. A few days later, had Hardcoop sat next to a stream, his feet so swollen they had split open, and he was not seen again. Oh, yeah. That's sad. William Eddy pleaded with others to find him, but they all refused, swearing they would waste no more resources on a man who was almost 70 years old. Yeah. Um, so James Reed, who was who was banished, caught up with the Donners, who were a few days ahead still, and proceeded on with um, them, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and one of the Teamsters, Walter Heron, shared a horse and were able to cover 25 to 40 miles per day. Um, so I guess going off ahead to like scout things out and stuff. Yeah. Um, the rest of the party eventually rejoined up to the Donners, um, but... Things kept happening. Native Americans chased away all of Graves' horses, and another wagon had to be left behind. Uh, the cattle was had to spread out more at night since there wasn't as much grass in the autumn, and so which allowed the Paiutes to steal eighteen more during one evening. Um, they and then another several mornings later, they shot another twenty-one of the. <laughs> 
cattle oh of this gosh. invading army. Um, so at this point, they had lost nearly a hundred oxen and cattle, and their rations were almost completely depleted. Um, uh, Wolfinger um, had to uh, stop at Humboldt Sink to bury his wagon, so that it would be like he like didn't have any more oxen, or at least not enough to pull his wagon anymore. So he had to like bury it by the side of the road so that he could come back to it in theory oh, <laughs> in better hmm. times. Yeah. Um, Reinhardt and Spitzer stayed behind with him to help. Uh, he like went off by himself to bury, or he and these other two guys went off to bury bury it. Spitzer and Reinhardt came back alone without Wolfinger, oh. and said that he had. Um, that Paiutes had attacked and he had been killed. Okay. Um, one more stretch of desert lay ahead. The the Eddie's oxen had been killed by Native Americans and they were forced to abandon their wagon. Um, the family had eaten all their food, but the other families refused to assist their children. Um, the Eddie's were forced to walk, carrying their children. Um, Margaret Reed and her children uh, also lost a wagon, um, but eventually they made it out of the desert to the Truckee Ritter River, where there was somewhat more food available, like on bushes and hunting mm -hmm. and stuff. Anyway, okay. Uh, Stanton, one of the two men who had gone ahead to seek assistance in California, brought back, and at this time came back, he brought mules and food and two Miwok Native Americans named Luis and Salvador. Um, he also brought news that... Um, Reed and Heron, who had gone off ahead, although haggard and starving, had succeeded in reaching Sutter's Fort in California. So two people ended up making it to California That's by good. this point. Um, yeah. So they got to the last push over the mountains in the Sierra Madre, um, which was uh, on the like traditional trail, like one of the hardest parts of the journey. Um, you had to be like really, it was, you had to time it right when you got there. Cause this, they got a ton of snow in the winter, like more than most mountain ranges mm -hmm. due to being so close to the Pacific and you couldn't get there too early in the year or there wouldn't be, or it'd be like too muddy and wet oh. the spring rains. So it was October 20th and they had been told that the pass would not be snowed in until the middle of November. Um... But, uh, I don't know, they, on their way through the mountains, they had more problems. William Pike was killed when a gun being loaded by William Foster was discharged <laughs> negligently. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, they, uh, they kept, kept started going again. Um, the Donners had, had an axle break, um, and had to go into the woods and fashion a new one, carve a new one from a tree. Um, Jacob or no, George Donner at this, when he was doing that, sliced open his hand while chiseling the wood. Um, but it was fine, at least for now. Um, snow begins to fall, um, and they made it up to Truckee Lake, or the Breens did. The, the Breens were soon joined by the Eddies, the Keysbergs, and then the Murphys eventually also made it up there with them. The Donners um, made a camp at um, Alder Creek, which was about five miles away, five miles behind. Half a day's journey. Um, 
the they got up so they got up to the lake um the 60 members and associates of the breen graves reed murphy keysburg and eddie families got up there and they found uh three cabins i think that had been built there by previous people who Mm -hmm. had gone in years before um they they used like canvas and oxide to patch up the roofs the cabins didn't have any windows or doors just a big hole in the front where you could walk through um so of those 60 up at Truckee lake 19 were men over 18 12 were women and 29 were children um then close to alder creek the donner family had 21 people there including mrs wolfinger her child and the donner's drivers six men three women and 12 children and all it began to snow again on the evening of november 4th um, the beginning of a storm that lasted eight days. So at this point, they were snowed in. Mm. Um, and they slowly ran out of food. Yeah. Um, the Reed and Eddie families uh, were among the first to lose almost everything. Uh, Margaret Reed promised to pay double when they got to California for the use of three oxen from the Graves and Breen families. Um, the Graves charged... Um, William Eddy, $25, which would normally be the cost of two healthy oxen, uh, $25 for the carcass of an ox that had starved to death for them to have. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Very little solidarity among yeah. the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. Um, people became more desperate. Um, they tried to send out people in, in snowshoes to make it up the mountains. Um, on November 21st, a large party of about 22 people successfully reached the peak um they went about a half miles past the summit and then had to turn back um on november 23rd why uh i don't know why i think because they were out of supplies and or something i don't i'm guessing they Mm -hmm. they probably just got up there to see what they could see and there was nothing around for very very close at all yeah yeah um they had to Diets soon consisted of oxhide, um, where they'd cut off strips of it and boil it to make like a a glue-like jelly. They boiled ox and horse bones repeatedly in order to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Um, They like picked apart the oxhide rug that lay in front of their fireplace, roasted it in the fire, and ate it. Yeah, (laughs) it was a bad situation. Migrants caught and ate mice that strayed into their cabins. Um, Many of the people at Truckee Lake were soon weakened and spent most of their time in bed. Occasionally, one wouldn't be able to make the trek to see the Donners. Um, News came that Jacob Donner and three hired men had died. Um, One of them, Joseph Reinhardt, confessed on his deathbed that he had murdered Wolfinger. When they mm. went off to help him bury his wagon. Oh. George Donner's hand had become infected, which left four men to work at the Donner camp. Margaret Reed had managed to save enough food for a Christmas pot of soup to the delight of her children, but by January they were facing starvation and considering eating the oxides that served as their roof. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Margaret Reed, Virginia, Milt Elliott, and the servant girl Eliza Williams attempted to walk out. Um, they were gone for four days in the snow before they had to turn back. Um, their cabin was now uninhabitable and they had to move in with the Breens after they were eating their 
roof yeah. at this point. Um, one day the graves came to by to collect on the debt owed by the reeds and took the ox hides, all that the family had to eat. Um, yeah. So they eventually set out. Let's see. Uh, the mountain party began to fail. Spitzer died. Then Bayless Williams, who was a driver for the reeds, um, of malnutrition, starvation. Um, 17 men, women, and children set out on foot in, a, in a, another attempt to cross the mountain pass. Um, they packed lightly, taking what had become six days' rations, a rifle, and a black a blanket each, a hatchet, and some pistols, hoping they could make it to Bear Valley. Valley. Um, they yeah fashioned uh, like 15 pairs of snowshoes for all of them. Some a few of them had to two of them had to turn back pretty quickly because they didn't have enough snowshoes and it was too hard for them to walk. Um, on the sixth day, uh, William Eddy discovered his wife had hidden a half pound of bear meat in his pack. Um, so they were able to eat that at least. Um, the group set out again the morning of December 21st. Stanton had been straggling for several days and he remained behind saying he would follow shortly. His remains were found in that location the following year. Um, the group came, became lost and confused. After two more days without food, Patrick Dolan proposed one of them which should volunteer to die in order to feed the others. Some suggested a duel, while another account describes an attempt to create a lottery to choose a member to sacrifice. Um, Eddie suggested that they keep moving until someone simply fell, but a blizzard forced the group to a halt. Antonio, the an animal handler, was the first to die. Then Franklin Graves was next. Um, okay, and then what? And then they Did started... Did they eat him? Yeah, they ate him. All right, you gotta say that. That's the biggest part of the story. I know. You're, like, flying through all the actual important stuff. I Yeah, then they ate him. Uh, yeah, no. you gotta... That's, well, they, like, the so big part of the they story. They didn't eat them for, like, a couple of days after they left. Okay. That, or after they died, I mean... So they, okay. they died, and then, you know, Patrick Dolan, like, went insane and came back, and he died, too. Um, some of the group began to eat flesh from Dolan's body. Um, yeah. The next morning, the group stripped the muscle and organs from the bodies of Antonio, Dolan, Graves, and Murphy. Um, they dragged them to store for the days ahead, taking care to ensure nobody would have to eat his or her own relatives. Yeah. Um, after three days rest, they set off again, searching for the trail. Eddie died of hunger. Uh, no, Eddie eventually succumbed to his hunger and ate human flesh. Um, but they soon ran out of that. Uh, they started taking apart their snowshoes and eating the oxhide there and discussed killing Luis and Salvador for food. Um, before Eddie warned them and they quietly left. Um, the more people died. Um, they, Eddie and Mary Greaves tried to go out to hunt for deer meat. Um, they, when they came back, Fosdick's body had already been cut apart during the night for food. Um, Twenty-five days after they had left for after they had left the lake, they came across Salvador and Lee, Luis, who had not eaten for about nine days and were close to death. William Foster shot the pair um, so they could eat them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they eventually made it to a Miwok camp, 
uh, Native Americans who gave them acorns, grass, and pine nuts to eat. Um, and after a few days, they made it back to they made it to um, a ranch there at the edge of the Sacramento Valley, um, and were able to uh, assemble a rescue party. So now it's over. Uh, no, there's, I mean, more details and stuff. Oh. So James okay. Reed, when he was the first person, he and Stanton were the first piece person to reach California and tried to assemble a rescue party there. Um, but this, the winter came and the snows, and so they wouldn't, they weren't able to before people starved and started eating each other. Um, so, but they've okay. eventually got a, a party together once the winter in, in February. Um, they had to, they, Reed got there in, I think it was, uh, like, yeah, in October, but had to wait four months before they could send people back to help people. Um, when they got there, uh, Mrs. Murphy appeared from a hole in the snow, stared at them and asked, are you men from California or do you come from heaven? Um, they could, they, when they, when they got there, they couldn't find the cabins because they were like completely covered in snow and they were like living underneath them. Mm. Um, the sodden oxide roofs that they hadn't eaten had begun to rot. Um, yeah. They had a lot of, they were able to bring, I think, 23 people back. Yeah, 23 people were chosen to go back with the rescue party, leaving 21 in the cabins at Truckee Lake and 12 down at Alder Creek. Several of them, the people going back with the rescue party, didn't make it back alive, including William Hook, Ada Kiesberg, and John Denton. Um, they, um, yeah... After they rescued, after the rescued migrants made it safely into Bear Value, William Hook, Jacob Donner's stepson, broke into food stores and ate so much that he died, basically, because he was so starving and, you know, couldn't eat a lot of food because he hadn't eaten. Yeah. Um, They, as more, as on rescue missions, they came back and found more and more people that had been eaten basically um uh no one at Truckee lake had died during the interim between the first two rescue parties past patrick breen documented a disturbing visit in the last week of february from mrs murphy who said that her family was considering eating mr milt elliott reed and mccutcheon found elliott's mutilated body uh, soon after that, the Alder Creek camp fared no better. The first two members of the relief party to reach it saw Trudeau carrying a human leg around. Um, then when they made their presence known, he threw it into a hole in the snow that contained the mostly dismembered body of Jacob Donner. Um, inside the tent, Elizabeth Donner refused to eat, although her children were being nourished by their father's organs. Um, the rescuers discovered three other bodies had already been consumed. Um, in the other tent, Tamsin Donner was well, but George was very ill because the infection had reached his shoulder. Um, they evacuated 17 more migrants from Truckee Lake, um, 14 of them children. Um, I think another two of that group died on the way back. Um, yeah, they... Uh, kept finding uh, the remains of people who had been eaten or the 
partially eaten remains of people. Um, after, long after it, um, there was some, you know, different people claimed to have eaten or not eaten people, um, though it, uh, some people claimed that they, like, never cooked a human person, um, though they probably wouldn't have needed to cook them, as they would have died pretty fresh and it was winter, so they probably still ate people without cooking them. <laughs> they can they can say, I never cooked a human being and ate it and get away with and and be telling the truth, I guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. tr uh, tr Jean, Jean Trudeau uh, claims to have eaten a baby raw. Um, why were they trying? Why were they all claiming these things? Because I, I will like, I don't know. Trudeau, like he claimed that at the time, but then years later, like took it back. Probably yeah, but why? Why did he say these things? Because he wanted to, to like yourself. sound like a badass, basically. Like, okay. you know, he, cause he was like 16 and like, I want to be like, people pay attention oh, yeah, to me. Yeah, I don't know who any of these people, you Sorry. named like a hundred people. I, know. I, I know, don't know hard. any of these people. I know. I don't know how old they are. I don't know who they are. I'm just like, okay, I so know. someone ate someone. I'm sorry. That's it. Someone ate someone. That's all I got. <laughs> lots of lots of people ate lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I know. I, there, there's a lot of names, but you know, people generally, I don't know. They they tried to avoid eating their family members, but eventually it couldn't be avoided, and you know, yeah, the Donner children had to like survive by eating their father's organs. Very, very gross. Um, yeah, so they, a lot of them, most, most of the women ended up remarrying or most of the, uh, soon after they got to California, as there weren't a lot of women around in the territory. Um, a lot of the children who were orphaned ended up getting adopted, some of them by other members of the party, some by other, um, immigrants out there who adopted them in California. Um, the last person the last surviving member of the Donner party died in 1935 um so in all um 87 people originally were part of the Donner party and 48 of them survived the whole thing basically um so for uh for Lansford Hastings part um when someone confronted him about the tribulations of the Donner party um, they reported that, of course, he could say nothing, but that he was very sorry and that he meant well. Um, after the end of the Civil War, uh, many Confederates left the U.S. to establish colonies in Brazil, where slavery was still where, where slavery was still legal. Um, Hastings made arrangements with the Brazilian government there, and in 1867, published another book um, called *The Emigrants' Guide to Brazil*. Um, he died in 1870 of yellow fever while leading a ship full of settlers to the colony that he had established in Brazil. Mm. Yeah. So he kept trying mm. to form a colony that he could rule in different parts of the world oh and God. then eventually died. He was not a, he was a very ambitious adventurer, but not a very good one. No, not a good one. Yeah. Sorry, that was very long. Yeah, it was extremely long. <laughs> I know. And you just, you glazed over the fact that people were eating each other. Oh, and I'm like, that's that. the only interesting part of the story. I know. But I, I know, but I was, 
I was trying to... Also, I'm like, I don't care who specifically is eating who. I'm sorry. I don't okay. know who any of these people are. All right. Unless they're eating their dad, I don't really care. Okay. I mean, I care, but I didn't know. Do you know who any of these people are? Were you keeping track of the names? Yeah. Be but, honest. I mean, it was it was difficult to keep track. <laughs> I, I know. There are a lot of names. I really have to pee. Okay. That was also another problem. Oh, okay. I need to pee. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Are you uh, finished? Yeah, I'm finished. Is it, there something else you wanted to say? No, it's just hard. It's hard to keep track of who was eating who because, I don't know. <laughs> like, even at, like, at the time, like, there were so many, like, you know, people dying and being eaten that it was, it's hard to, like, give an accurate account of exactly who was eating who so at what time. I thought everyone died. I didn't know everyone. Yeah, like, uh, half, about, died. yeah, more than, more than half of the party uh, survived. Not more than half of them were eaten. People died in yeah. many ways, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, five of them died, like, before they got, before that winter, and then another 34 of them died between December and eight, December 1846 and April 1847. Um, and a lot of those people were eaten. Mostly they just died naturally mm. of like starvation and stuff, except for Luis and Salvador. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a, there's a monument there now uh, dedicated to the Donner Party. Donner Memorial State Park. Okay. I don't um, know. All right. Are you done? Yeah. I'm should done. I go? Sorry. Yeah, you should go. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I don't know go. how long mine is gonna be, but I'll try to cut it short. No, you take as long. As we can cut out cut out parts of mine. No, that won't make any sense. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was long and boring. It wasn't boring. I just I know the story already, so. Uh, I thought it was important to share how they got to the point of eating each other. They just had so many things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Okay. So, I have an interesting topic that you probably wouldn't expect from me. I certainly wouldn't expect it from you. Yeah. I'm going to talk about Donkey Kong today. What? You hate video games. I do. <laughs> But this is an interest, really interesting story. Okay. So um, all this stuff that I'm, I, I'm talking about the documentary called King of Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the full name I think is King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. <laughs> uh, and so it, it's more than I'm not going to explain to you what Donkey Kong is. <laughs> That's boring. It's the little game where mario it's the old arcade game where the little mario has to like climb ladders and jump over barrels that the big gorilla monkey is <laughs> like throwing at him yeah and mario's trying to get to the princess at the mm-hmm. top but every time he gets to the top the gorilla takes the or the monkey what is he a gorilla I think he's a gorilla right? a gorilla the gorilla takes the princess again and then you have to go to the next mm-hmm. level and like keep trying to get to the princess yeah 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 i don't i wonder I've definitely played it. Not much, though. I'm trying mm. to think. Yeah. Well, this is about the old arcade game, okay. Donkey Kong, not the thing you could play like on your computer. Yeah, or I know. So I'm going to talk about more on the uh, the competitive, the competitive Donkey Kong oh. game. 
Um, so I'm trying to figure out where I should start here. Okay. So uh, the the documentary revolves around two men, two men who are like the best the players in the world in okay. the world of Donkey okay. Kong. And one of them is Billy Mitchell. Okay. And the other one is Steve Wiebe. All right. Okay. Billy Mitchell, Steve Wiebe. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just, I'll start reading the stuff I have written down, I guess. So Walter Day, this guy is the founder of a thing called Twin Galaxies. Okay. And that's an organization to, dedicated to tracking high scores in arcade games. Especially those from the golden age of arcade games of the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Billy Mitchell, he mm-hmm. owns his own, I think, hot sauce brand. He makes oh. his own hot sauce. It's <laughs> okay. weird. I don't know. It's this says holds the high score for. Oh, he holds the high score for several arcade games, including the original 1981 release of Donkey Kong. Mm, okay. So. Like he he does today, or well, so at the time he okay. was the at the best. time of the documentary. Yes, he okay. was given like well before. Okay, um, he was a uh, supposedly like the best um, player ever, and he was given a bunch of awards. Um, yeah, so like the best player of the year, like the best player in the world awards and like he held he held like the highest arcade game scores for like five different games Mm. and like so twin galaxies is so okay this is really hard to explain (laughs) okay (laughs) so billy mitchell yeah ended up becoming really good friends with the people who work at twin galaxies okay and there's a guy at twin galaxies who He's the official referee for all arcade game tournaments. Uh-huh. So you either have to like go to a live event where you play. I think the place that you that everyone plays these, it's in like Florida. It's called like Fun Fun something. Uh-huh. Hang on. I'm gonna find it. Okay. Fun something. <laughs> okay. uh, there's like a specific arcade uh-huh and yeah, um like twin galaxies like hosts their events and stuff yeah, yeah. it will or, this specific arcade has it's called like fun spot or something uh-huh. but it has the most like the biggest collection of uh old arcade uh, games okay ever cool. and stuff so yeah like usually twin galaxies will hold a lot of things there but not just there mm-hmm. because twin galaxies is just the place they so if you want to submit a score, say you have your own machine at home, mm-hmm. you can record a tape of you playing. Uh-huh. And there's like very specific like requirements. Like they have to see you, they have to see the machine. Mm-hmm. They have to so then they know that you're not like playing on a computer. Right. Um and then you can submit that and then someone will watch it and then like a ref will watch it mm-hmm. and make sure it's like legit. Right. And then they will decide, okay. Mm. yes here you this is a new high score got it so Uh that happens but then they also go to like all the tournaments to see Uh uh-huh because there you can't really like cheat right there yeah that'd be you can't Mm -hmm. um so 
those aren't really disputed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just get into um. So Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell. He's a bad guy. Oh, he's a bad. He's oh, he's he, horrible. He, okay. So in this documentary, he just like. Oh, he also just looks like a little rat. He's horrible. <laughs> I think I saw a picture of him. Oh, while he's you were terrible. He's the he worst. Looks, he looks like a bad, like a villain. Yeah, no, he is. And he, like, he's literally on this documentary just saying, like, I don't know if I've met anyone better than me. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, I just strive for perfection and I will be and always will be the best at arcade games. Like, he's very much just like, yeah. Oh man. Obviously. Great. Uh-huh. I love it. And he on this documentary was like, yeah, like I don't know how the validity of tapes that people send in, like the real the real gamers are the ones who can show up to the tournaments and get that high score in front of a crowd of people uh-huh. who are distracting you and you have and then there's nothing that can be disputed so you have to be able to like take the heat right. but also like that's a way to make sure that no one cheats mm-hmm. and so you got to you got to show up to be a winner right he's like what he's, he's okay. show up to be a winner okay so he had the highest score of like 800 something thousand okay eight hundred and like twenty four thousand or something and he held this score from like 1980 something until like 2000 something like no one could beat this high score and i'm trying to think i could i can't remember if he had if he sent in a tape or if he won at like a (laughs) tournament this he could it could have been at a tournament but yeah he held the highest score Mm-hmm. So everyone knows Billy Mitchell. Right. He's like famous and the Twin Galaxies people, he's like buddies with the re- like mm-hmm. friends with the referee, friends uh-huh. with like everyone who works there. He mm-hmm. goes to like parties with them. Okay. I think I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> so then this this guy named Steve Weeby. Steve Weeby. Steve Weeby. From Redmond, Washington. Uh-huh. He was um, laid off from his job. At, he was an engineer at Boeing. Okay. So he wanted something to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he decided to purchase a Donkey Kong machine. And he decided to one day look up on Twin Galaxies, what's the world record? <laughs> and he decided that he was going to beat it. Cool. That's what he was going to do when All he right. got laid off. Yeah. Okay. That's so, something I would definitely do. Oh, I know. I know. So this says using his mathematical knowledge to identify exploitable patterns in the game. Mm. So he would like, he played for hours and he would like um, figure out all of the patterns, even though it's randomized, like it's pretty random, but there's mm -hmm. patterns there. And he would like draw in white, like marker on his screen, (laughs) like where they could possibly go. So he could like exactly get out of the way. Wow. That's and then cool. he would like memorize this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, because a lot of those like old video games like are like random, but it's randomness based off of like, or it, it's not re- technically random, it's like based off the amount of time that has passed or like yeah. actions that you did yeah. earlier. Yeah, so he used math, it, it, it seems to random everything. like in the game, but if you're like over a lot of repetitions, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. 
a, a little while ago i got into watching like speed running like or i watched so this this youtube channel called summoning salt this mm-hmm. guy makes little mini documentaries about like speed running world records for video games like people playing through video games as fast as they can mm-hmm. and so I, I got really into that for a little while it was, it was fun it was interesting <laughs> seeing the little dramas that play out as people try to get the fastest like mario kart time or castlevania or whatever oh my god <laughs> anyway sorry go on <sighs> okay so he'd draw on the screen to get it yeah, yeah. like to kind of memorize stuff uh-huh. and yeah that's cool that's a yeah. good idea mm-hmm I need to make sure we're still recording. Hang on. Okay, yes, we are, everyone. We're still going. Great. Okay, so stick with me. This gets interesting, and I'm kind of going all over the place. But So Steve Wiebe, he is recording. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to beat the record. And so he sets up his camera. He does everything correctly, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And he's about to beat the world record. Yeah. And then Billy Mitchell comes in and (laughs) breaks his door down. (laughs) He's at like 600,000 something. So he's like getting close, like very close. And he's like, I'm going to beat the freaking world record. (laughs) And then his son runs down the stairs. Yeah. And he's little. Uh His son, because he has a wife and I think like two or three kids. Okay. And his son runs down the stairs and he, he, so it's in, this whole thing is being recorded because the game is being recorded. So you can hear all of this audio and the son just screams, daddy, wipe my butt, wipe my butt (laughs) and like, stop playing Donkey Kong. (laughs) And, um, Steve is like. Honey, hang on, like, I in a second, I'm going to beat the world record. I'm going to beat the world. And he's like, stop. <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> it's really funny. Oh, and this is like, so, and then he beats the world record. Oh. He actually scores high enough. Like, oh, wow. he actually gets it. And he has to turn this tape in. Two twin galaxies with the official scoring thing with his child in the background screaming, wipe my butt, stop playing Donkey Kong, wipe my butt. He's screaming. Oh, man. How's that for distraction, Billy Mitchell? Right? Oh, my God. So, it is, uh, so it's put up. On the Twin Galaxies website, yeah. which is, like, official. Right. Steve Wiebe has, like, a new he's, high he's score. He's the new world he's record the new holder. world record holder. So, the people from Twin Galaxies call mm-hmm. up our friend Billy Mitchell. Okay. And are like, hey, so uh, someone beat your high score? <laughs> and Billy Mitchell was mad. Really, really, really mad. Okay, so he (laughs) decides to send the like two guys, one guy who like actually watches all the tapes Uh and like decides on things. And then I think one other guy from Twin Galaxies, um, he sends him. He's like, you you need to go investigate this. I think he's a fraud. (laughs) Billy Mitchell says this about Steve Weeby. Right. So then he gets people to go to Steve Weeby's house. Yeah. And like they try to get into his garage. What? And they start like taking his game apart what? and like seeing how like if it was been tampered with or yeah. you know stuff like uh-huh. that. 
And so they're taking pictures of all the boards inside and everything. Yeah. 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 And Billy Mitchell is one of the people who gets to review who was able to like review all the pictures and see if there's sketchy things going on. Mm. They like let Billy Mitchell have like a say in all this. Oh. So then. He's a he's a Donkey Kong expert. So Mitchell and Twin Galaxies. So Billy Mitchell, Twin Galaxies, send two referees to investigate Weeby's machine. Right. And they learn that the machine's circuit board, so uh-huh. every, sometimes the circuit board goes out like it. you have to buy a new one right. if you play it a lot. Uh-huh. His, so Weeby's circuit board was provided by a man named Roy Schilt. Okay. And this Roy Schilt... Um, so he is a self-proclaimed fitness guru and pickup artist who claims the high score of Missile Command. (laughs) So Mitchell and Schilt are apparently like rivals, like they hate each other. Ah. And Schilt hates Billy Mitchell because he thinks he's an asshole. Right. Who is a fraud. (laughs) Both of them sound like assholes. Oh, they are. They're horrible. They're both horrid people. (laughs) Yeah. And Weeby didn't know the beef there right but he was like oh okay so steve weeby is the nicest like (laughs) kindest man so after he um got laid off from boeing Uh he got his mat he decided to go back to school and get his master's degree yeah and then he decided he wanted to be like a high school like math teacher (laughs) so now he's just like a high school math teacher he's like the sweetest man ever (laughs) and He's like, oh, so Schilt like approached him and was like, I want to, I think you're great and I think you can beat Billy Mitchell. And that's, I want you to beat Billy Mitchell. So Schilt was paying for Weeby's new circuit boards when he needed them. But so when these two referees go into Weeby's garage, they see a box that was sent from, from Ron Schilt. And okay. they're like, why do you have this? And then Weeby was like, oh, he helps me buy my circuit boards. Right. And they were like, no, disqualified. <laughs> and they like disqualified him oh, because there was like, you know, Mitchell was like, oh, um, Ron Schilt was tampering with the boards. Right. Weeby is a patsy for Schilt to get someone to beat him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. Interesting. Yes. So this was in 2003. Uh, were the circuit boards like tampered with or, in, or were they like not good? Were they like... There was no evidence that anything was tampered with, no. Okay. Got it. But if they even... They said that if they even suspect mm-hmm. that someone is tampered, like possibly blah, blah, they have to disqualify the score. Hmm. Okay. So they did. And Weeby was like this famous guy for a really long time. Well, for like not that long, actually. Yeah, a few for months, like, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they disqualified his score and uh-huh. said that if you come to the next tournament okay. at Fun Spot in New Hampshire, okay. and you can score, you can beat the re- world record there, right. we'll give it to you. Okay. Like, uh, you know. And. Billy Mitchell was like, yeah, I mean, it was obviously a fraud. Like, he's Mm -hmm. obviously a fraud. He got his circuit board from my arch nemesis. Like, obviously, (laughs) he's he's not even good. Mm -hmm. And, like, 
you have to be able to show up to these tournaments. He's never even been to a tournament before because he was like a new player. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't, he just played in his garage. Yeah. And that's why he's like, how do we even know he's playing on a machine? Mm -hmm. Because if you, there was like, you could play on like a computer at the time. Uh Uh-huh. Because this was in like 2003. Right. You could play on the computer Mm -hmm. and there was this thing that you could do like if you die uh-huh. on a level, you can reboot it and uh-huh. then you can start again at yeah. that level you died on instead right. of going back to the beginning. Uh-huh. And so then you could just like cut then, yeah, thing, could... cut it together or yeah. you see the screen in the corner get like blurry and then it cuts, mm-hmm. cut the score jumps randomly uh-huh. without you. So like there's little things you can see, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case with his like right. tape. But, so I feel like I vaguely remember hearing about some of this as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Like in the, I bet in it was some, a big like, deal. Magazine or newspaper or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like a real big deal. Yeah. So I have vague memories of seeing headlines about it. Really nice guy, Steve Weeby. He's yeah. honestly, he's <laughs> so great. Like it was so. He's like the guy who always gets second place in everything and he started he like cries in this documentary Aww. once because like people were being mean to him Aww. and it was really sad <laughs> so he was like you know what Poor i'm gonna go to this tournament and prove myself yeah so yeah you are steve they spent the money like for him to fly out to new hampshire and go to the tournament at fun spot and steve Weeby calls billy mitchell Mm-hmm. And is like, hey, Billy, I'm going to be at the tournament. I'm hoping we can meet and, you know, we can have some friendly competition and we can play on the same machine and we can and I can meet you. And he's like really nice. <laughs> yeah. And Billy Mitchell never returns the call. Oh. But Weeby shows up to the tournament and plays like, um. oh, hang on. Okay. So, he goes to this tournament. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. And Billy Mitchell's, like, manager, he kind of has, like, a manager. Okay. Goes there. And also, Billy Mitchell's, like, protege or whatever you want to call it, (laughs) this real nerdy, like, young kid who wants to be just like Billy Mitchell. (laughs) Like, they all, like, start being really mean, basically, to Steve Weeby. And he's, like, just trying to play on his machine. And they are... They they set up shop behind Steve Weeby, both of them. And they uh-huh. just sit and they, like, hover over his shoulder and just keep talking to him to try to mess him up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, where's Billy Mitchell? Like, is Billy Mitchell coming? Steve Weeby was like... And then the ref... Who goes to all the tournaments. He's right. like the one ref. I don't know. Uh-huh. He is good friends with Billy Mitchell. So he calls Billy Mitchell and he's like, hey, where are you? Are you going to be coming to this tournament? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen you at a tournament in a while. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, I might show up. He never shows up to the tournament. Mm. He doesn't come. Oh. He just decides not to not to play. Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. So, and they're like, oh, you know, he he probably won't come, no. Uh-huh. As Billy Mitchell is like, well, videotapes aren't even a real way to win, and you have to show up to these tournaments to actually be the winner. And right. And he hasn't competed at any of these things in a very long time. Okay. So he didn't show up to this tournament. hmm And Billy Mitchell, in public, 
sets the new world record again, lower than his first original. Steve Wiebe. Steve Wiebe. Sorry, Steve Wiebe sets the new high score of nine hundred eighty-five thousand six hundred, mm-hmm. even though he got up to like a million, I think, in his tape. Right. But um, he so he sets the new high score, and he mm-hmm. reaches like the kill screen. Which yeah. is as far as you can go in uh-huh. a game. It automatically like kills you after five seconds or something. Uh-huh. So then it ends the game. Right. And he reached like, you know, he got the new world record. And everyone's like cheering for him and blah, 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 blah. And everyone is like calling up Billy Mitchell, like his manager, this nerdy guy who's obsessed with him. <laughs> the referee is like, hey, this guy beat your high score like in real life like actually did it uh and billy mitchell is like you they have a shot of him like on the phone hearing this and he's like really mad (laughs) um so he goes so i sent in this videotape today and i think you really need to watch it and i think you should set it up at fun spot and do like a live Oh like viewing of the tape. Uh oh. Yeah. This was like the day after um, he sets the world record because the tournament isn't over. It lasts like a few days. Uh-huh. And so this is actually uh, the Weeby's score is the highest that anyone has ever reached in public at a live tournament. Mm-hmm. So he sets like two world records in one day. Right. So the next like night, or no, the same night. Yes, no, the same night. He beats, he he gets the new world record, okay? That night, the tape comes in. They get the tape from Billy Mitchell. Oh, man. And they all they they all huddle around this TV and they watch this tape. Mm-hmm. Like everyone who's at Fun Spot at the tournament. And it is a VHS uh, of Billy Mitchell playing Donkey Kong. And he gets... A 1,047,200 point score. Mm-hmm. So then that same night, Billy yeah. Mitchell beats it, ag- like beats Steve Weeby's score. Oh, man. So here's the deal. Okay. I, th- I have a guess. This tape, first of all, totally contradicts everything he was saying about how tapes aren't valid and right. <laughs> you have to show up to be the real winner. Uh-huh. Um, it's really funny because later they interview his wife uh-huh. and they were like, have you ever uh, seen him compete at a live tournament? And she goes, no, never. I've <laughs> never seen him compete at a lot. As long as we've been together, I don't think I've ever really. He doesn't really. <laughs> so he doesn't go to live like events okay. really. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, he never really performs that well at them. Mm-hmm. Um. So he, uh, he said, yeah, so he sends in this tape. Yeah. But there's an issue with the tape. Uh Uh-oh. Like, as they're playing it, it'll, Uh like, get all blurry on the sides. Uh And then it'll jump scores. Oh. So it looks exactly like he, like, played it on a computer and edited. And the videotape didn't follow any of like the standards that the videotapes are supposed to be like show yourself show the machine blah blah Mm -hmm. like you can't if there's any kind of like blurriness or like weird Mm -hmm. like squiggles on near the if any of the scores like jump randomly in between like shots yeah like it's automatically disqualified yeah 
So the referee calls Billy Mitchell and is like, is there any reason that that's the case? Uh-huh. Uh, and Billy Mitchell was like, oh, you know, I sent you a copy. I have the master. So okay. the copy was probably a little ruined when I copied it over. Mm-hmm. And the ref was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. All right, we'll go and put the new high score in the on the internet right now. <laughs> Literally. And then he takes Steve Wiebe into the room and he's like, so we're going to change the world record again. We're going to accept Billy Mitchell's tape. And Steve was like, can I watch the tape? Because he didn't get to see it. He was playing a game of Donkey Kong. And they're like, no, it was a one-time thing. You're not allowed to see it. Oh. So they didn't let Steve Wiebe watch the tape. Oh, man. Yeah. So it was a (sighs) total, like, if you watch the tape, it's a totally bogus, Uh bogus tape. It's ridiculous. So then. Totally bogus, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone's like, I don't know about this, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. well, Twin Galaxies said it was cool. Yeah. So you know. Mm-hmm. So nine months later, so Steve Weeby just kind of tries to go on with his life, very sad that he's in second place again, and yeah. they screwed him over once, and now because yeah. he had a like bogus tape. Right. Which wasn't bogus at all. Mm-hmm. And then they make him come out to this tournament. Yeah. And then he wins. And mm-hmm. then Billy Mitchell doesn't even show up, even though he lives like 10 miles away <laughs> from the tournament spot. Like, it's not like... And <laughs> Steve Weeby had to fly out to yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> yeah. So he's really upset. And like his whole family's really upset about it all. So nine months later, the Guinness... Book of World Records has um, decided to go with Twin Galaxies. Um, they are Twin Galaxies will be the official people they use to find like world records for games. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So the twin, so Guinness Book of World Records publishes Mitchell's latest score as him being like the winner. Right. And then he hosts a tournament. Okay, so no, this tournament is the one that's like 10 miles away. Okay. From. So uh, the Guinness Book of World Records hosts a tournament in Mitchell's hometown of Hollywood, Florida. Okay. And so then Weeby is like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to beat this score and I'm going to yeah. win. And I'm yeah, going to set are. the new... And he still holds the record for highest score like in public at a tournament. Uh-huh. But he's like, no. I'm yeah. going to beat this Billy Mitchell guy. Yeah. So he calls Billy Mitchell again and is like, hey, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. You should be there. Yeah. Yeah, you should. And so Billy Mitchell is like, okay. He doesn't call him back, though. Uh-huh. But he's like, okay. Um. So Weeby gets there. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So Weeby gets there to the tournament. Yeah. And it's like a four or five day tournament. He brings his whole family out there. Nice. Day one of the tournament, Mm -hmm. they meet um, Billy Mitchell's like manager. Okay. And this is just funny. It's kind of random, but it's like a funny part that I thought was good. Okay. uh, Steve Weeby was like, so do you think uh, Billy will be here? Because they're going to share a machine. Like, he's in uh, the system as he's he he's going to be there. Uh-huh. But um, 
but then he doesn't show up the first day. Right. And so they talk to like Billy's manager and he's like, is Billy going to be here? I'd really like to like, you know, yeah. meet him and, you know, actually like go up against him like live. Yeah. And the manager was like, um, to be honest, you know, prob- probably not. Mm-hmm. And Steve Weeby was like, oh, yeah, he's too busy, right? Like, he's probably too busy. I get that. And mm-hmm. the manager was like, well, not so much. He's too busy. He just, like, he just didn't have, like, prep time. Like, he didn't have enough time to, like, prepare for this. <laughs> and the wife just goes, I mean, he knew this was coming. It he it was planned months ago. So he had time. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <gasps> Yes, like she was so mad. Steve Weeby's wife, wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was like, well, he actually had time to prep. So why didn't he? And why yeah. is he not here? <laughs> oh, I loved her. She's the this best. Is, this is us. I know, I know. No, it was great. And so... <laughs> so every day goes forward. Steve Weeby is not still not meeting the record. And by the last... No, second to last day of the tournament. No, last day of the tournament. Okay. Billy Mitchell shows up to the tournament with mm. his wife. Yeah. But just to watch. <laughs> and he doesn't play. Does not compete. Nope, oh, he man. won't compete live. Like, he shows up. <sighs> and Steve Weeby is, like, playing Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. And he sees Billy and he goes, Hi, Billy, nice to meet you. And then... Billy Mitchell looks over at his wife and goes, there's some people I don't really want to spend that much time with, so we're just going to walk away. (laughs) And he just came to watch, like, the tournament and never actually played. And when asked about it later, his Billy Mitchell's manager was like, he doesn't really want to have anything to do with Steve Wiebe, so he tries to stay away from him. What? Even though Steve Wiebe has done nothing to him. Right. So, are you kind of following here? Yeah. Okay. So, by the end of that tournament, he doesn't, Steve Weeby doesn't end doesn't up beating beat the school. Oh, no. But Steve Weeby kind of becomes okay. Like, everyone still kind of like is really mean to him when he goes to those tournaments. Like, it's mm-hmm. really horrible, actually. And I remember, like, in the documentary, you see that a bunch of, like, the people competing go out to a bar that night. Uh-huh. And Steve Weeby and, like, one other guy show up at that same bar. Yeah. And Billy Mitchell was going to come join the bigger group. But yeah. then his manager calls and says, yeah, so Steve Weeby just showed up totally uninvited, even though they didn't even sit in the same booth. Like, they sat at different <laughs> booths. Uh-huh. And so Billy Mitchell's like, I'm not coming. Yeah, so it's like that kind of, even though people are so mean to him. Oh, man. And then they're like, well, why are you here, Steve? Like, why you weren't invited, basically. It's it's really mean. Uh So at the end, he doesn't end up beating the score. Mm -hmm. But he, so Steve Weeby kind of becomes okay friends with like, the ref is kind of like, oh, I'm really sorry for everything like we've put you through. It was unfair to disqualify that first score Uh because you're obviously an an extremely talented player and you weren't cheating. Right. But they already disqualified the score, so they couldn't like Hmm. Mm -hmm. reinstate it. But they're like, we at Twin Galaxies will be happy to accept any future video submission that you submit without 
question basically unless there's something completely wrong with it but they're like we think you're an amazing human and you're really nice Uh and we're sorry we did all these things to you yeah basically Mm -hmm. and so kind of at the end of the documentary it was um he was still the loser and billy mitchell was still like the winner okay um but then at the very end where like the words like show up, you know, yeah. it goes, but dot, dot, dot. Because it's like a documentary from like 2007. So some of the editing is kind of bad. <laughs> and so it goes, but, and then like a couple years later, I think, or like the next year, yeah. Steve Wiebe submits a score that's like a lot higher than Billy Mitchell's. Yeah. And they accept the score. Nice. So he is then the highest, like he's the world champion of self-taped um mm-hmm. games and in-person live events yeah so nice he is actually the best so let me get down to so on february 2nd so that's kind of how it ends steve Weeby is great mm-hmm. awesome billy mitchell's the worst and right. blah 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 mm-hmm. so there's a lot of question about how billy mitchell is so good because mm-hmm. A lot of his tapes aren't very good. That one tape especially shouldn't have been at all. Like, he was definitely playing on a computer. He was cheating. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't go to live tournaments. Anytime he goes to live tournaments, he doesn't perform that well. Mm -hmm. So he's a real sketchy guy. Yeah. So on February 2nd, 2018, Twin Galaxy member Jeremy Young uh, filed a complaint regarding several of Mitchell Billy Mitchell's records. Mm. So the validity of Mitchell's August 7th, 2010 high score set a Boomer's Grand Prix arcade set at... So I guess he did go to... No, I don't know. Maybe he probably... Could not be determined. He probably, the, like, made the video there, I'm guessing. Yeah, pr- yeah, yeah. So the referee who allegedly witnessed and certified the record was gamer Todd Rogers, who appears in The King of Kong and was exposed as having fabricated scores earlier in 2018. Oh. On April 12, 2018, Twin Galaxies released an article on their website titled Dispute Decision, Billy Mitchell's Donkey Kong and All Other Records Removed. Oh. This article announced that Mitchell had used emulation software to achieve the Donkey Kong high score rather than an arcade machine. This is banned because it allows players to cheat in undetectable ways. Mitchell was stripped of his records and banned from submitting further scores. Yeah. And Weeby was recognized as the first person to score over a million points. Finally, like 10, 11 years after he actually did it. <laughs> wow. Due to this, Mitchell's scores were also removed from the Guinness World Record book. The investigative committee cited footage obtained from the King of Kong DVD special features as intr- as instrumental in exposing Billy Mitchell. <laughs> so, you should go watch... I've told you a lot about this, but there's a lot more. You need to go watch this. It's a really good documentary. <laughs> and it's kind of like... You'll see how just great of a guy Steve Weeby is. <laughs> I'm serious. He's so sweet. Also, he's like a musician. Like he's he loves music. He's really good at music. He's really good. He's like he was like an engineer. He's really sweet. Uh-huh. 
And like he wanted to be a musician when he grew up, but then he's an engineer, but then he got laid off. So now he's like a teacher and it's just really, he's really sweet. (laughs) And also in December 2009, Steve Wiebe released a contemporary Christian album, The King of Song. (laughs) How cute is that? That's funny. That's good. Isn't that cute? That is very cute. I'm sorry. Like, that's cute. It was really cute. cute. That is cute. And then the very end of the documentary, they have like, they have a picture of um, Steve Wiebe's like youngest son, the uh-huh. one who was like screaming in the video. Yeah. And they put his high score of currently on Donkey Kong. Cute. They're like, Jacob, we- whatever his name is, mm-hmm. his high score is currently 87,000 or something <laughs> small like that. But uh-huh. it was really cute. <laughs> It was. It's a really good documentary. You should yeah, watch it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I would. I. I, I did will. not know this 2018 stuff happened with Billy Mitchell because yeah. in the documentary it hadn't been. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, Billy Mitchell is a piece of shit. They yeah. interview like his parents, and <laughs> his parents are like, Billy Mitchell's just a winner. Like he doesn't <laughs> lose. Like those kind of parents are like old people, and they're like, whatever Billy wants to do, he does. He's just a winner. <laughs> That's oh man, mm-hmm. the best kind of people. Mm-hmm. No, it's great, and he owns like his own hot sauce brand, and he's like, he, "Look yeah. at me and my hot sauce." He's, and... he's what I imagine most hot sauce brand owners are like. Mm-hmm. like. The ones that are like, "Burn your ass, donkey butt, ass shit sauce." Mm-hmm. So that was really long, and I apologize. I was going to try to make that short. It was also kind of all over the place, but I just kind of wanted to talk about it. That was really good. Was it it good? Yeah, it's very entertaining. Um, Everyone watched the documentary King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. I found it on YouTube. It's only an hour and 22 minutes. It was, it's old, and some of the editing is kind of cheesy, but I think it was really well done. Good. And okay. I think you'll really... It made me cry. I cried. Oh. When Steve Wiebe started to cry, I cried. <laughs> I just... Steve Wiebe started to cry, and I just... Oh. I'm, like, tearing up thinking about oh. it. Because he's such a pure man. He's so sweet. And Billy Mitchell's just so terrible. Why would you say those things on camera? Like... I'm just the best. Like, I don't know if anyone else is better than me. Stuff like that. And I'm like, you are an ugly, short rat man. <laughs> he really is. Okay, well, it's almost two hours, so I think we should wrap yeah, this up. Yeah, we should up. stop. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we should do a, a stream later this week. Play donkey Kong. A donk- and Oregon Trail. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Let's so do that. At some point this week to accompany yes. this episode, we will be on Twitch streaming Donkey Kong and yes. Oregon Trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna do that. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh thanks. This is uh, I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been Known Unknowns. Red Sky at three PM. Sailors slide into your DMs. <laughs> Cause it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.